Hello, my name is Janice B. Gordon. This is Scale Your Sales Podcast. Welcome to the Scale Your Sales Podcast, listed number nine of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional in 2021. I am Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert, recommended by LinkedIn as one of 15 innovative sales influencers to follow in 2021. In this episode, we talk about the challenges and the changes emerging from executives who are now responsible for the entire customer life cycle. And my guest talks about the air gaps, failure points, and the overall experience spanning sales, marketing, and service. You'll absolutely love the discussion on his new book, Revenue Operations, which is publishing April 2020. My next guest is the Executive Director of Revenue Enablement Institute. He is a leading authority in the go-to-market transformation of sales, marketing, performance, management, and revenue, and is widely published, including the forthcoming book, Revenue Operations, A New Way to Align Sales and Marketing, Monetize Data, and Ignite Growth. Welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, Stephen Dorio. Thanks for having me. It's a uh, it's really interesting. You've led the Revenue Enablement Institute for the last six years. Now, even the last two years have been pretty challenging. So tell me, what are some of the key um, changes and key challenges that you've seen um, that the Institute has had to adapt to? Sure, there's a couple. Uh, we got our funding uh, because you know we, I've been a Gartner analyst. I've written books. Uh, I've been in the conversation on commercial transformation for several decades now, and our funding was basically to say we need uh, to lead the conversation at the ownership board and CEO level, because I'm sure, Janice, in all your conversations, uh, there are a lot of smart people in sales and sales enablement jobs who know what to do, but they're, they don't have a mandate to change. They are not allocating capital. They can't change the scorecard and the incentive systems, and they can't take risks. So, you know, basically most efforts to improve sales are stalled for lack of those things. So I've been asked to bring a gun to a knife fight at the board level uh, about transformation. And so to do that, I've um, been asked to build an institute with the leading academics in what we call the science of growth, real practitioners who've sat in the chair at companies like SAP and, and Walmart, uh, and, and what I regard as, as the most experts. To answer your questions, so we did, you're right, we started pre-pandemic and you know, sales enablement, uh, leveraging technology, all analytics, those were all trends. But two big things happened uh, in the last couple of years. One was obviously the pandemic, and that led people to go virtual. Uh, and, you know, that sounds trite, but if you think about um, what we call the commercial architecture, Janice, uh, the incentive systems, the seven variables that you can actually pull on a sales force, where they're focused, what their coverage is, uh, what specializations, what roles, uh, 
you know, turning those dials, those dials changed dramatically. The cadence increased, the mix of calls online increased, um, quotas, geographic territories blew up. Uh, you know, you, you pretty much, if, if you could follow the sun, you could do it. So one change, and it was on the back of virtual, was the commercial architecture as we defined it, you know, the coverage, the roles, what Wharton calls the Salesforce emphasis, uh, you know, the territory quota plans in the incentives all blew up. I think a second trend is that 53% of boards are pushing their CEOs to move to recurring revenue models. You know, SaaS, subscription. I know a guy who's selling power transformers on a subscription basis. You know, I think the guys at Zawara call it the subscription economy. But when that happens, you know, we've always had hunters and farmers. And that blew that up, Janice. It completely blew that up. Now, hunters are being asked to be, you know, Alan Alda on the show MASH, you know, long-term relationship buildings. They're getting paid on the back end. They're getting pissed off. They're leaving. Uh, you know, like, look, I'm a hunter. And then minders are like, whoa, I'm actually leading most of the sales conversations. This is new for me. How does that change? So I think those would be the two dynamics, virtual blowing up what I call a commercial architecture and this notion of business model transformation, um, uh, you know, completely reconfiguring uh, what we call the revenue life cycle. The people on the front have a different role. The people on the back have a different role. And quite frankly, all the incentives are messed up. So I hope that was a good answer, but yeah, uh, if that, I had to pick was... two, those are the two. <laughs> yeah, I want to pick you um, pick up on the recurring revenue model, how um, investors uh, along with the executive team is trying to change that, that go-to-market strategy and how challenging it is for organizations to do both. It's a nightmare. Oh, you hit, <laughs> you hit the nail on the head, Janice. You hit the if you want me to amplify that. So if you read, if you listen to an earnings call, um, and there's some companies doing noble things, you know, there's people in telecom who are moving from on-premise equipment to SaaS. And they'll always say, we're at 38% net recurring revenues, our total lifetime value. We're in the middle. Some of our sales are recurring. Others are nice, profitable, recurring stuff. We're moving in that direction. They call it business model transformation. One thing, two couple things happen. One, cash flow is a disaster because you're recognizing revenue over a long period here, which is nice, you know, on, on books, recurring revenue is the best thing in the world. I wish I had more of it, but from a cash flow perspective, not so because on-premise dumps a lot of cash in up the front. Um, and then the, the, the second thing is um, they, they can't price properly. Um, they're struggling to get one common purpose we're big believers and most of the smart, only because most of the smart executives I know are big believers is, you know, General McChrystal says, you need one common purpose uh, out there and everybody in the organization. And that purpose has to be growing customer lifetime value. And everybody's got to see themselves as part of the purpose. If you're in the middle, as you described, uh, <laughs> you have two purposes, you know, uh, hunt and kill and bring in uh, big on-premises contracts and, start to build these long-term relationships. So the messy middle you described is real. And then there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of detailed things. You know, my friends at the uh, uh, Subscription Economy Institute, you know, can talk about revenue recognition, incentive systems, pricing, uh, you know, and then 
uh, on their architecture side, coverage models, how do you set quotas in this world? The details get kind of messy too. So I think you've pointed out 53% of boards are asking people to do it. Uh, at the back end, it's great when you get to Oz, but in the middle, it's a little messy. Yeah. So was that, uh, I hope yeah, I, I've no, had some issues no, there. No, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, um, you agree and see that and have brought in more, more detail. I want to talk about your book and thank you so much for allowing me um, to read it. It's not published until uh, June 2020. Yeah, April, April, April. 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 Uh, All right. I'm pistol whipping Wiley. Uh, it's amazing. <laughs> they they asked me to write it in like 10 days and then they want 10 months to, to publish it. <laughs> yeah, those publishers, hey. I, I said to Stephen uh, that this is like the Bible. It's one of those books that you need to read once and then you'll need to read it again because there is so much information. You learn so much. I absolutely loved it. I love some of the titles as well. The Tsar, the Federation, the Chief of Staff. It's a, it is a fun book, but you literally, there's so many levels. I remember reading one chapter twice and I found new things in it. So. It's called Revenue Operations, a new way to align sales and marketing, monetize data, ignite growth. And you all need to read this now. It's out in April. So what inspired you, besides your publisher saying you've got to write this in 10 days, uh, what inspired you to bring this book out now? Well, it's funny, if you remember the old Godfather movies, I feel like Michael Corleone. I keep trying to get out and they keep dragging me back. After my last book, when I put on 40 pounds, then uh, I told my wife, I'm never writing a book again. And uh, 20 years later, I'm writing a book, but I'll tell you why. Um, what we do for a living is talk to the best executives in the world. And if you noticed, uh, two thirds of the, the copy in the book is coming out of the mouths of CEOs and academics. Um, I'm just kind of shepherding the conversation. But that said, um, one of the trends that I probably didn't touch upon is on the back of this customer lifetime value issue is this whole notion of selling has become over the last 20 years. We used to call it the 21st century commercial model. And my editor said, that title sucks. <laughs> so um, here's what's happened. Selling has become more capital intensive data-driven, and it's a team sport. So I grew up in a factory at GE. Uh, I've had senior sellers say, I used to manage sellers, and now I manage a selling system. Because there's so, you know, if you look at the investment mix, it's a quarter technology. It's a lot of data. It's instead of like a, you know, a, 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 a factory where people were assembling things manually, it's a factory with robotics, and, and, uh, and automation. So one of the notions that's really coming across to me as I listen to what the smart people are doing is this notion of a revenue operating system. You know, a system is just pulling together pieces to do something well, educate people, you know, your heating, ventilating, air conditioning system. Uh, there's a operating system in your computer. Uh, in fact, every part of the business, a financial management system has a system, growth doesn't have a system. And that was the big aha. Uh, and as an engineer, that's very appealing to me. So on one hand, more value, stock market value, has been created by flat-out revenue growth than all the efforts to do clever things like roll-ups and, 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 and cost improvement uh, combined. Yet we have no system for consistent, 
and scalable growth. Those two words come out of the mouths of virtually every executive we talk to. So we put together you know, a revenue operating system. You know, there are assets in the business. We introduced the language of assets. Data is probably the biggest asset in a business. Uh, if you look at the airlines, if they could get rid of their planes, their customer database is worth more than the company. Um, and, and this is evidenced by banks are lending them money and securitizing the customer database, not the planes. <laughs> so, um, you know, and, and brands are big assets. And for some of the consumer brands, it's most of the company. Yet, you know, you, know, you probably have a house or a car. Uh, that's an asset. You take care of it. You maintain it. Uh, you know, if you've got a $100 billion, $50 billion brand, what's the care and feeding of that? Uh, if you have data that's worth more than your company, what, if, you, if you can't put a value on it, how can you even manage it or monetize it? So this notion of assets, and then, you know, you probably buy from, you know, Amazon or one of those really cool sites. That's a digital infrastructure behind that. You're not buying the product. You're buying that digital infrastructure and how seamless it is. And that's an asset. Uh, and they were far-sighted enough to invest a lot of money in that asset. Now, all of a sudden, we're seeing restaurants, businesses, SaaS companies start to say, oh, I need one of those too. And that's capital investment. That's not just having a great quarter, rah, rah, come on, make your number. That's, I've got to build a system. So this notion of an operating system it didn't, it didn't take hold in 1990, but it seems like with all the data we have and, and this tipping point in the last five years, people are like, yeah, selling is a system. It's not an art. And, you know, it's you know, relationships are important, but the magic is gone. You know, all my advertising friends used to say I, magical campaigns, salespeople were like black boxes. I can't tell you what I do, but I'm going to make my number. Leave me alone and give me my uh, travel money. Uh, and obviously, uh, now we're starting to peel that back and, and look at it scientifically saying, well, what's going on here? How come we can't systematize this? How come we can't get you know, the 80% of our people who are not magical sellers to operate more like that? So sorry for going on a bit of a rant, but this notion of a system, if you know, is is intriguing to other people. And so revenue operations is the revenue operating system. And if uh, you were able to stay up long enough, you'll realize that we've built a periodic table for growth, which thrills most people. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you describe it like that, maybe. You know, <laughs> I did love the pretty pictures, you know, and yeah, I did recognize the periodic table in there, but it's uh, very much more exciting. <laughs> well, it's on the periodic table, though. You know, you probably... The world is about magic bullets and Gartner quadrants. So you know, what's happened is there used to be, you know, an apple and an orange, and, and that made sense. But now there are 10,000 growth technologies, and there's hundreds of quadrants. Like, oh, well, you know, what do you think about, you know, revenue engagement software? I'm like, I don't know. They first explained to me what it is. And so what made it really simple is, I can explain what water is, H2O. I can explain what oil is, uh, uh, an expanded hydrocarbon. And I can create an equation that describes exactly what that is. And it's all about connecting the dots. So while it sounds kind of nerdy, it's actually simplifying to folks because, you know, it, it's like cars or anything else. How do you, I, I, I can't even keep up with these names and they're almost meaningless. And anybody who's anything good has 10 names attached to it, you know, uh, you know, wife, mother, homemaker, educator, you know, anyone who's doing anything good is more than just one thing. I can't pigeonhole you. So um, sorry, sorry, but that's actually why the periodic table works. I, 
I was intrigued by something you said and how much the world has changed. What we what what were the foundations of what we believed in and and what capital um, was and how you valued these things and how that's all changed. And actually what you value now is something that isn't bricks and mortar that that often is intangible rather than tangible. Um, and I think I do speak to a, a lot of um, executives and salespeople, and you think you're talking the same language and you realize that is the bit that's missing. Because although in the real world, you'll, you'll talk about um, social media, you know, the intangible assets, brands and social media, but actually when it comes to valuing, they want to use old analog technology. <laughs> It, it, so uh, you, you have nailed it. So, yeah. and, and actually, you should. There is a great book. I think I have it within arm's reach on capitalism without capital. It was written by some professors over in England. Mm. Unbelievable. So, let's do a time series of 1975. Imagine a big afro <laughs> with that John McEnroe headband. It was a good look for me. And today, which is what you're seeing, um, I hang out with people like the head of the Financial Accountability Standards Board. Uh, I'm a fun guy. Um, but in 1975, 80% of the assets in the company were tangible inventory, buildings, assets that you could see. Only 20% were intangible. Today, it's the complete opposite. 80% of the value in a business is intangible intellectual property, know how, processes, brands, data. Uh, so, one, that's different. Two, um, the customer experience. Uh, it used to be products and product benefit. Now, 90, 80% of selling happens online. If you look at any survey of customers, in B2B at least, they can't see a difference in the customer experience from any of the vendors they buy from. Uh, and the customer experience is everything. So that has changed. We talked about the other dynamic, which is we're selling customer lifetime value. We're selling long-term relationships. I just wrote a book with a really smart guy called Neil Hoyne, uh, who is the head of analytics at Google, you may want to talk to, who talks about it. We've got all the metrics wrong. Um, you know, it's almost like a really bad joke about going into a bar and asking 100 girls to marry you. Uh, you know, maybe one's drunk enough to say yes. And by any metric in the, by any metric in digital marketing world, that's a home run. But you've just pissed off uh, about 99 women, or at least they're going to think you very strange. Uh, and you're certainly not going on a date with you. So I think, you know, that customer lifetime value metric with the subscription economy, uh, with, with everything, that's good. And then the investment mix, you know, paid media used to be the majority of the marketing budget, you know, back, and it's in secular decline, it's in free fall, it's shrunk, it's mostly digital, and really targeted media and social isn't really even media anymore. Meanwhile, the CapEx and OpEx component own channels, building your own websites, email, blogs, the content and the people sitting behind those machines is most of it. So if you just look at that over time, that's why I say it's capital intensive. Uh, it used to be, you know, and we're still living in a world where we think, oh, it's about advertising and it's about messaging and hero salespeople getting on a plane. I'm like, no. It's a lot, it's a big digital machine. And that salesperson comes in for maybe 10% of the process and they better be damn good when they're there because um, uh, you know, there's no room or there's no latency left. There's no time for, I can't get back. I'll get back to you. Yeah. <laughs> it's not acceptable anymore. So take those trends. I think the intangible one is really powerful because 
if I'm running a company, people are boards are powerless to say, I don't get it. You know, um, how do I, my brand is worth this, you know, and my data is worth this. And I'm running a technology machine, not a sales organization. And it, it, those are big, big changes. And again, beyond losing my hair, all that's happened in the last, um, you know, 20, you know, 30 years, 40 years. I think we've hit a tipping point in the last couple of years. The excuses are gone. They always used to say, oh, sales and marketing is unmeasurable. Uh, sales and marketing is too unstable. I can see everything that's going on in sales and marketing. You know, I can record sales calls. I can show you exactly what's happening in the market. Just like I could, I used to be one of those guys who would go to the machine and we'd chart tolerances, you know, with a hard hat <laughs> on um, and my hair coming out the sides. Um, uh, it, it, we can do that with every motion and selling today. So I think all of a sudden the exclusives fell away. It's taken us about five years to realize the exclusives have fell, fell away. And it's, it's also, it's like, you know, the sales force is like, and ad budgets are like phantom limbs. It's like that guy in Monty Python who had both his arms cut off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyhow, sorry, I, but I think those changes are profound and you picked up on those and I'm happy to dig into any one of those, but most people don't see it the way you see it. Mm -hmm. You know, they just think it's, what do you call it? You know, being nibbled to death by ducks, just logical incrementalism. But a big shift has happened. A, 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 mass, a massive shift. And I think people, and when we're talking about business, a lot of business is down to the people within the business. We um, are finding it difficult to, um, to, to meet that challenge because it's, a it's accelerating and it's moving fast. As soon as you feel that you've caught up, it's just human nature and human behavior and how we feel. There's a lot of talk about mental health. It's now that kind of popular phrase. We've all got mental health. <laughs> well, we all need to manage our mental health. But I wonder to what extent is the lack of ability for humans to feel that they're on top of this moving beast within an organization. They may be able to manage their personal, the dynamics and the drivers in their personal life, but when you're in a business and the business is moving and that so much of it is intangible, then how are we able to continue and manage this moving beast? You know, that's a great question. Uh, and I like the tie into mental health because I would say that that, that is a reflective of, um, sorry, um, that's reflective of, I would say that's reflective uh, of what's going on. I'll talk about tech complexity, um, too many channels, uh, that notion of I'm managing air and intangibles is really hurting people. And I'll tell you three reactions people are having. And I think you alluded to them earlier. One was, 
um, I'm going to put a dictator in charge. That's what the Romans used to do. Like they used to have a nice republic until the Huns were at the door, and then they assigned Janus the dictator. And you know, for the next six months, everyone did what Janus said. So we call that a CXO. That's an equation: a chief experience officer, a chief customer officer, just to replace the X with whatever you know, you know, word you, letter you want, and you've got these crazy titles. But what that is is a dictator, which is all right. I've got this crazy revenue cycle, marketing, sales, service, and all these operations underneath them. Some companies, I can't name them, have 40 or 50 operations controlling customer data and technology. Too, too complicated. My reaction is put a czar, like the drug czar, you know, or something like that. Doesn't work, but um, it at least is gives you that sense of control. Another is this notion of a coalition. Smart organizations are starting to have an open discussion about what's happening along the cycle and find ways to work together uh, because you know people are signing bad deals at the front that are hurting in the back. Uh, conversations happening in the back of the funnel are sales conversations that aren't being measured. And so I like the coalition model where people actually work together as a team to try to figure this out. And uh, on top of that, I think this notion of massive transparency and visibility which is, I just need visibility into account health, how healthy the system is, how well the sellers are performing. And that's all possible. I, I think, you know, um, everybody is like, I am pulling as much information as possible about the system and I'm pushing it down to people at the edge. The third is um, this notion of this super duper chief of staff. Uh, just like in digital marketing, uh, it was always the old line advertiser and the young person explaining to them what the internet was. Well, here, sales ops, sales operations, didn't even exist 15 years ago. Now that role has expanded to include all the customer data, all the technology, and all the information for the entire revenue lifecycle. That person may be the most valuable person in the selling system. It's like a chief of staff. They know where the bodies are buried. They can pull all the data together. They can see the system. It's sort of like you know, Q, you know, Q or, or the mad scientists underneath. Uh, the James Bond stuff. Uh, and so, you know, the dictator model is appealing. It can create common purpose, at least get people marching in a straight line. Coalitions are great, but that takes very evolved people who want to work together. Uh, but I think this RevOps superstar, whatever you want to call them, you know, that chief of staff is probably the most practical person because they're in the boiler room. They can see all the data. They can see the technology. They've got much stronger technical skills to be able to automate them and, um, and could probably paint the picture or contextualize the complexity and inform it better than anyone else. So I'm seeing people lash out with those three models uh, and they all have their pros and cons, but I think that's why this notion of a RevOps superstar, my nephew, he's 28 years old. He's, was, he became a CRM administrator. I'm like, why are you doing that? You're young. He's been promoted like five times in the last 24 months. His salary is tripled because he's got his hands into the customer data and he can see the complexity in the organization. So, uh, you know, old dogs, new learn tricks, but I new, new, learn new tricks. Um, but I think, I think you're onto something there. And I think organizations are looking for an operating system to make sense of this. Clearly, you know, uh, the, the Microsoft operating system has billions of lines of code. But at the surface, it works pretty well. You know, you point and click, stuff happens. I think that's why people are 
starve for some type of an operating system to get control of it. Because you know, I grew up in the factory. If you make a million of anything, that's a supremely complex task. Yeah, uh, you know, people do it all the time. Cars, refrigerators, uh, it may not be sexy, but they can do it. Why can't we start to systematize the, the front end, the demand chain of the process? Because it's, you know, no more complex than the back end. It, it's a little bit more unstable. Certainly there's a lot more drama queens up there, but <laughs> anyhow, uh, that's sort of a, my, my take on what I think is a really great question, Janice. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I loved your your chapter five, um, the leadership models and, mm -hmm. and, and the czar. I really enjoyed reading that. So I would urge listeners to go get the book Revenue Operations. It really does get you to think and question um, what you're doing currently and uh, perhaps, you know, how you can move your really your your um, mindset your own mindset on as to really what's happening now. Mm -hmm. the, you know, the model has changed, you know, so the old T4 won't work anymore, mm -hmm. right? So I loved it. I did love it. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to have you on again, Stephen, because there is so much that, that we can um, talk about. And um, yeah, unfortunately, time is not on our side. So let me ask you, who is your hero or shero? You deal with so many incredible people being an amazing person yourself. So I'm interested to find out who that might be. You know, I saw that question and I actually do have a lot of heroes and I don't know why, but I always love Cyrano de Bergerac. Uh, and the reason I love them is apparently he was not an attractive fellow. Um, and he was, but he was very articulate, very smart, incredibly competent uh and uh underrated and so i look at him like wow this guy has all the substance and he's sitting in the background you know letting some you know, imbecile with a pretty face you know do his talking but I'm, i remember reading that going this guy's a stud you know i want to be like him you know uh you know because i don't have the option of being a pretty face so uh but i don't know why but that came up uh, because you actually read it, he was amazing. He was a, he was a better sword fighter than everyone. He was noble. He was articulate. He was smart. I'm like, not a bad guy to be. I I, I when I I saw you know he was a bit of a stud. I thought I've got to ask this question. <laughs> <laughs> read the book. He kind of was. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's it's great when a bloke is you know bromance with it with a, a broken identify and I'd like to be um like him so who knows I'll ask I'll ask your um partner maybe you are <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that would be an interesting interview <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> Uh, it's been an absolute honor. I've loved have you on the, having you on the podcast, uh, Stephen. So thank you so much for being a guest of Scale Your Sales podcast. Thanks so much, Janice. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast. If you like this discussion, feel free to listen to other episodes or watch the caption show on YouTube and subscribe to future episodes. I would really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review on iTunes. Thank you.